Welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over one million times worldwide and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. In today's episode, episode 273, we talk about unexpected and sometimes negative interactions with animals on the trail. The focus of this episode isn't on snakes as people might expect, but rather all those unexpected interactions with rodents, marsupials and other creatures that we fall into the cute and fluffy brigade that we never really think about that can adversely impact on a hike. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice so that each episode is available as soon as it's published And if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. We start this episode by catching up with hiker Adam Russell and discuss his epic animal interaction on a hike he undertook that most people wouldn't even think about. We then relay a few of our own stories before we talk about considerations for animal proofing your hike as best you can. So Adam, thank you for taking the time to chat with Australian hiker around this unusual topic. Oh, you're welcome, Tim. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, before we discuss your trip, can you please give us a brief introduction to yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a 52-year-old architect. I run a small business called Saltbush in, uh, on Darawal country, which is northern Illawarra, about an hour south of Sydney. I've got a partner, Susie Pickles, and two boys here. And look, I grew up on the Lane Cove River, sort of Baronia Park, Lane Cove River bushland. And we downshifted out of Sydney in around 2019. I think it, it sounds like you just caught the end of the fires and beat COVID. COVID gave us a chance to set up a little urban homestead, a little urban farmstead, sorry, where we grow a lot of our bees and keep chickens and bees and yeah, downshifted away from more career-driven life in Sydney. Been lovely. And your, your involvement with hiking? How did, are you, you, you're into hiking, I gather? My first memory of hiking was a, a week-long trip I did with my grandparents and my brother to the Barrington Tops. I must have been 10. And we did quite a bit of day walking and stayed in a cabin up there. And that was really fun. And then I was in Cubs and Scouts until my early teens and did a bit of walking here and there through that. But I've recently come back to hiking. Actually, I dreamed of walking the forest while I was recovering from a broken back last year. Uh, I broke my back in a surfing accident and while I was in bed for 14 weeks in a back brace recovering, I was dreaming about getting back out into the into the bush. I bought myself a 30-litre pack knowing that I'd have to travel light and, yeah, I discovered the ultralight hiking community and I've done lots of walking this year now that I'm back on my feet. Let's talk about your three-day walk in the Butterwang, in particular the issues you had on one particular hike. Yeah, look, it was a trip I'd been planning for a while with my brother, Matt. He's been hiking with me, I think we've done three hikes this year. And we planned to go out into the Butterwangs, didn't know much about it, so did a lot of um, internet and paper research. 
uh, didn't really know many people who'd been there. And I, I don't know, the Butterwangs is a pretty amazing, rugged, dramatic spur off the Great Dividing Range about an hour west of Milton, and it, and it straddles Morton National Park and Butterwang National Park. So headed off on our little trip, we planned a three-day hike where we'd walk into Kuyoyo Campground, which is at the foot of the castle, camp there for two nights and do a lot of day walking on that middle day just with day packs. That was the plan. Had you been to that area before or this is a new area for you? I've been in National Park a bit before, but more at the northern end. Matt and I walked the walking trail in the year. Topography in the Butterwangs was very different, incredibly steep and rugged and dramatic, which you know made it challenging underfoot, but also very beautiful to experience. My brother, Matt, he was really keen to see the Butterwangs from a photographic point of view, but a bit nervous about the remoteness. All right. And, and now, what happened on the hike that, that caused you all the grief? Quite a few things happened. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of a drama from fairly early on. So we, we hiked in from the Long Gully campground, which is around one kilometre of climbing across a six and a half kilometre walk to get to Kuyoyo campground. I mean, six and a half is not a particularly long walk, but we knew it would be fairly um, strenuous. Uh, we had a few mishaps before the rodent issue on the way in. I hit my head on a fallen tree that I didn't see as I was um, navigating a large step and it floored me. It was a bit of blood and a bit, of, and I had a concussion after that for the rest of the afternoon, just a mild concussion. I felt a bit tipsy. We then proceeded to get lost for about three hours and had some navigation challenges with a map that showed a trail where the trail we couldn't find the trail when we we're right on the spot, and that was frustrating and exhausting. Uh, we ran out of water, but we we finally got to Kyoto Campground right on darkness, and a gale blew up. So we were <laughs> exhausted. I had a bad headache and sort of, sort of throbbing head, and we were tired and hungry. It was around two degrees Celsius, uh, not long after dark, and it was so windy we couldn't really cook. So we ate trail snacks for dinner. And that was when we started to notice a few rodents. We had our food bags out, just getting our snacks out, uh, organising ourselves in the wind. And maybe long-nosed potteroo or antichinus running around trying to sniff into our food bags. And like, oh, gosh, <laughs> better, better pick them up and like, put them between our legs and keep a close watch on them. Uh, so we, we ate in the gale and then decided we'd go to bed really early on. And as we both sort of went into our separate tents. Each of us had a rodent already in the tent. Not sure if we weren't very disciplined with our zippers, but we sort of shooed a rodent out each uh, as we went to bed. And, yeah, that's when the fun began. Now, you, you were talking about rodents. You said that they, um, they might have been antichinous. So were, they, were, they, were they native? Look, my expertise is very limited in this space. I saw them as very beautiful little natives when I first saw them running around. And I also got the sense that they were well-seasoned in um, scourging around for, um, for food in this campsite. So I'm pretty sure they're natives. So you went to bed after, after getting rid of the uh, uh, interlopers. So what happened from there? Well... I still had a, an open wound in my, on my head. It had, it had sort of stopped bleeding, but it was um, still quite open and exposed. Um, so I was going to sleep with a bit of a headache and noticed quite a bit of rodent activity around my tent. And as I dozed off, I, I started to just sort of dream that these rodents were actually in my tent. And I kept getting woken up by the noises they were making. 
So I, I, I got up and inspected with my torch and one scampered down my quilt and disappeared. And then I realized they were actually in the tent, which was quite a moment <laughs> on top of everything else that had happened. Uh, I double checked all the zips were closed, re-knotted my food bag in the bottom of my roll top pack and put that right near my head, hopefully as a, a bit of a deterrent. Uh, but as the night went on, I was constantly disturbed by rodents running around me in the tent, around the outside of the tent. It was, it was a very busy night. I jumped a few times when I felt them on my body. You know, when you're in that sort of half, half asleep uh, haze, or you're so tired because you've had a big day. And all of a sudden, there's something scampering over your shoulders. <laughs> um, yeah. So I jumped a few times, feeling them on my body, held onto my pack, almost like a pillow, just to try and protect it, because I knew I knew that's what they were going for. And then I, I felt a rodent sort of in under my arm, actually gnawing into my pack. <laughs> it, was, it was like something out of a out of a horror film. And it was chewing into my pack. I had, I had a hole in my, my waist bag right by my head. At that point, I, I sort of I've got up and had a really thorough inspection of the tent and found holes had been eaten in three corners of my net tent. There, so there wasn't much I could do to keep them out. And I was so tired, I wasn't thinking straight. I probably should have, at that point, realised I, I could have taken the food out of my tent. But I also think they were attracted to... Uh, the, the fresh wound on my head as well. I think that might have played a part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I believe you you were actually bitten at one stage? I was at, a, at around 3 a.m. I, I ended up I was so tired and I, I just needed to sleep. So I ended up wrapping my arms around my head, um, blocking my ears with my arms and trying to block my head wound. And, yeah, at around 3 a.m. I got bitten on the pinky finger by something i didn't see i didn't see the um the perpetrator but uh, <laughs> it was a real shock a very sharp it felt like uh getting a needle that hasn't quite hit the right spot in the vein uh, very yeah. sharp pain so not long after that i i got up for the for the day realizing that i probably wasn't going to get any further sleep that night and the rodents had won were, were you aware of the fact that there were rodents at this site or is this a, just a total surprise? I had no idea. Um, the first inkling we had was when we um, sat down in the gale to eat our trail snacks for dinner and noticed noticed them um, running around on the ground and climbing up on the seat bags. And I hadn't really had much experience with rodents before in, in campsites. I've never hung my food or been particularly cautious about where food is and rodent activity. So it was all very fresh. Since this event, I've done a fair bit more research and realised that Kuyoyo Campground particularly uh, has a bit of a reputation for um, rodent activity and wonder whether a couple of wet years and probably some busy sort of hiking season through summer and early autumn meant the population was really healthy. And yeah. then we were in there. We were in there in the depths of winter, uh, and there was only one other tent in the campground while we were there. So, possibly there was a large population that had lost their food source over the last month or two and was particularly hungry. Do you know? Um, do you know if the other tent there at all had the same issue, or was there a focusing on you guys? 
Yeah, we talked to them in the morning. Like I was sort of walking around delirious, deliriously in the dark from about 3.30 in the morning onwards, <laughs> just trying to, trying to pull myself together. And uh, when, when the other tent got up, they passed us to go to the toilet and I told them what had happened. And they said, oh, yeah, we've had them scampering over our, our, our tent inner all night, but nothing's actually come in, but we've had to be very vigilant to keep things shut. Yeah. So um, they'd they'd had a similar sort of experience, but not no sort of um, penetration into the inside of the tent. Now, from what you were saying, when I talked to you a week or so ago, you said you ended up pulling the pin on the hike. Yeah, we did, and it was a combination of all those challenges that I went through: the, the head injury and getting lost, and but particularly having had no sleep or next to no sleep, and a tent that was no longer rodent proof and, and so many holes I didn't I didn't really have any capacity to patch or repair to that extent for the second night so okay. I was just an, anticipating the same sort of the same sort of um battle, issues battle <laughs> yeah the same sort of battle for the next night and uh having to walk out on day three having had no sleep for for two nights straight so we did we decided to pull the pin when we got up that morning or when the sun sun got up that morning and, and Matt woke up. Yeah, but we, we sort of took a slow way out. We, we had planned to summit the castle and um, explore Monolith Valley during the day just with day packs and then come back to the campsite that evening. But what we ended up doing is uh, packing up everything and we just sort of had a little wander into Monolith Valley back out again before we headed uh, back, back down the, um, the trail we came in on. Yeah, there comes a time where, as you said, you probably could have done what you were planned to, but then you'd have you sleeping back there again at night time, and as you said, in a tent that uh, that no longer is uh, is sealed. Uh, and for yeah, people, exactly. And I was going to say, for people that are interested in listening to this podcast, uh, there'll be some photos of the tent uh, that we've been talking about uh, to show you what the damage was. Yeah, I, I had um, a hole in my in my pack which uh, needed repairing and they, the rats also ate through my food bag and just got a little bit of food, not too yeah. much. Yeah. So a few repairs to sort out once I got back. Now, have you been back to that campground uh, since that time or have you, you've decided to steer clear of it? Oh, no, I'm very keen to get back there. Possibly not to the Kyogo campground. I think um, having spoken to a few other people subsequently, I think um, – there's a few camping caves you're allowed to camp in nearby and maybe even just some sort of wild camping might be a safer bet in terms of minimising rodent uh, activity. But oh, it's the most incredible uh, scenery and the national park down there is just beautiful. I'm definitely heading back. Okay, so we've been talking to Adam Russell about his negative experience with rodents uh, on his multi-day track in the Butterwings. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks so much, Tim. It's been a pleasure sharing and um, I really enjoy the podcast you and Jewel put together. So um, thanks again. No problem. Now, in listening to Adam's story, really, that's probably the worst example I've ever heard of an on-trail interaction, a negative on-trail interaction with animals. It really was the stuff of nightmares for many people. It definitely was my nightmare and there is no way we will be going to the castle. We've been trying to do it for such a long time. Uh I'm out. (laughs) 
Well, I think we might need to do it as a day hike and uh, uh, and you know, get up there early and come back down again. You're going to have to try hard to convince me of anything. <laughs> now, from personal experience, there are two main issues that we have with animals on trail. And the first is that of thievery. And it's exactly as it says, getting something stolen. Now, the obvious thing to think about here is food. Uh, and animals tend to be uh, reasonably opportunistic here. They have a very good sense of smell. They're able to locate fresh or packed food that are in your packs or storage bags that human senses just can't detect. And over the years, I've had my own or we've had our own interactions with theft on trail from various types of animals. And the first one that we came across in, in recent times was in 2017 when we did the Overland Track. Uh, it was actually the second night when we were sleeping in our tent rather than one of the huts. Uh, on one of the tent platforms. And as we went to bed, we noticed that there was a possum in a tree that was just adjacent to our campsite that we didn't really think about. Shortly after we went to bed, uh, we'd had our, our, our food in the bottom of our tent, just below our feet. And I could actually feel this little paw coming up from underneath the tent platform between the gaps in the Hello, tent. hello, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to grab the food. And it was right on top of the food and knew exactly where it was. So after me getting out and, and basically jumping up and down on the platform and scaring it away. Shooing. <laughs> Shooing it away, yeah. It, it eventually did just did go away. No, no, it went to the next platform it to did, annoy it did. We, another we, lot of campers. We talked to uh, some of the fellow campers in the next morning and a number of them said, yeah, there has a visit from the possum. Uh, and we noticed when we got back up in the morning that this thing was coming back into its tree again. So, <laughs> Having uh, had a very exciting night. So, yeah, that's an obvious thing through here. Um, you know, the possums are probably one of the larger animals you're likely to come across on trail uh, that are potentially going to try and steal your food. Now, in relation to thievery, it tends to be more of an issue with really popular sites. So campsites that have wooden camp tent platforms or wooden shelters that are often open as opposed to a closed-in hut. And these uh, uh, animals get used to hikers being around on a regular basis. You know, they come in later in the day. Uh, the, uh, the platforms and the shelter areas are often vacant for much of the day. So they can come in after all the hikers have left uh, and see what's being left behind in relation to scraps. These animals will often learn to associate hikers and food. Uh, and as a result, it's not unusual. The more interaction they have, the less concern they have about hikers. And when we did the uh, Cape to Cape track in Western Australia earlier this year, we actually got there, put up a tent, and within a matter of minutes, there was, we think, uh, a bandicoot was wandering around, wasn't trying to get into the tent, but was sniffing around all the tents to see what was there. And it did not care about the hikers. <laughs> no, we were just irrelevant to their, their little wander at dusk. So, yeah, it's, it's one of these things that it's more the high-use areas uh, or if you, you're talking about campsites, so like Adam mentioned, I'm guessing that was a campsite that gets heavily used and as a result the animals are, are used to hikers and food being there and are, and are willing to risk interaction with humans all for the sake of food. And, and particularly, I guess, if they're really hungry or if it's really easy. Animals stealing food to a great extent I can understand, but sometimes they steal other things. So my most recent 
uh, issue with animals, uh, a negative interaction with animals was late last year on the South Coast track. And on the second night, I, for some reason, I normally leave my stove just outside the tent, but that's it. But for some reason, but for some reason, I left my rubbish bag uh, in a sealed Ziploc bag and my spoon. And that was a mistake on two counts. I got up in the morning and even though the stove and the rubbish bag and the spoon were literally 30 centimetres away from my head, uh, they disappeared. So I got up, had a search around. I managed to find the rubbish bag. Uh, nothing had really been taken out of it. Just a few holes chewed in it. But the spoon was nowhere to be seen. So I can understand the, the rubbish bag because there would have been food remnants in there from the, the hot meal from the night before. But in relation to the spoon, you know, I clean that pretty well, but there's obviously enough odour left on the spoon itself. And I use a silicon, a spoon with a, a silicon covering on it, and I have done for a number of years. And animals, for some reason, like silicon. In fact, as I said, this, with this spoon, never found it, and I had a good search around. So it had obviously wandered off, thinking this is, this is the best thing it had found for a while. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and um, you talked to some rangers when you, you came back and discovered that uh, silicon was a thing with animals. Which, who, would, who would have realised that that was the case? Now, later on in that trip, I, I didn't know, I really didn't know what had been the, the cause of this, what had actually stolen uh, things from me. Uh, but later on, I actually found out at another campsite, I saw a quoll shooting off when I'd got up in the morning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'd, quolls aren't something that I tend to think about seeing on hikes. Uh, it's not so common in, in mainland Australia, but certainly on Tasmania, on the South Coast track, they were pretty common. So, yeah, they. They shoot off pretty quickly. They move pretty fast, uh, and they obviously decide, they're obviously very quiet about doing it because, as I said, I did not hear anything uh, as close as this was to my tent. The other issue that animals will often cause is damage. So, yeah, you know, it's one thing stealing food or stealing a rubbish bag, but it's another thing that they cause damage to equipment. Now, Adam had a really good example there of impact on his his gear. And if you go to the written version of this podcast, there is a an article where it shows the picture of his tent, uh, and that's the image we've used as the cover shot, uh, and also his pack that has been chewed as well. And they, again, they might only be small animals, but yeah, when you're talking about the, the very fine mesh on the tent inners, it's not something they find difficult to get through. Yeah, it's not a uh, big and, barrier to break into, is it? No. So apart from damaging the actual tent itself, uh, then they, you know, by the fact they leave holes in there, if it's bad enough, you're also going to get insects and mosquitoes and everything else get in there as well. So it's potentially going to have a, a long-term impact on your hike. I'm not so sure I would have been so fussed about the mosquitoes with a bunch of rodents running around in the tent, Tim. <laughs> I have to say that, you know, gr growing up in western New South Wales, mouse plagues were just, uh, yeah, just indescribable nightmare. Now, certainly the images that Adam provided to us were extreme examples. Uh, and thankfully, the worst I've ever had was, again, on the Bibbleman track, I'd left my stove out, no food left out, uh, uh, no spoon left out, but I left my silicon collapsible cup sitting on the, on the, the table with my stove. 
And the other hiker was staying there, sort of yelled at me during the night that there's something was stealing uh, my cup. And I turned the hot torch on as this this rodent was running away with my uh, my drinking cup. Now it dropped it and left, but by that stage it had chewed a hole through the bottom of the cup, and the cup had had it. This stuff seems to happen when I'm not around, Tim, which I'm really grateful for. <laughs> Well, it's it's one of these sort of things, and you know, in in both instances, I should have known better, and I didn't know better, but I, it, I just had a bit of a brain snap and just didn't think about it. You know, and it takes it takes an interaction like that to say, okay, can't do this, and I'll do it for another few years, and I'll be fine. Yeah, and it's, then, then just forget about it. It's again. remember remember why I always do this, and then you don't, and then remember why I always do this. So obviously we want to try and prevent these interactions from happening. And as the old saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And, and trying to minimise the potential issues is going to be a better option. And it just takes, to some extent, a bit of uh, careful thought and getting into the habit of doing these things. These are not guarantees. Uh, and again, animals do have so much better sense of smell on average, than we do. And skill. Uh, and skill as well. <laughs> Small little hands. Uh, <laughs> You're creeping me out now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so putting things in Ziploc bags. So people will often say Ziploc bags tend to be wasteful. My oldest Ziploc bags are probably about five years old, and I do replace them from time to time. But getting a good quality Ziploc bag with a uh, – uh, the good quality ones will have a double Ziploc closure on it that will minimise the smell getting out of the bag. It won't stop it, but it will minimise it, which is going to make uh, animals uh, less interested if they can't smell it as much. It also helps to keep your pack a bit clean and tidy as well if you can bundle up your waste uh, that way. And As part of that, I mean, I did mention that, you know, there was some residue in my uh, food bag when I uh, put it outside to... Uh, in the rubbish bag, and that's always the case. It doesn't matter how how much you scrape the inside of a food bag, there's always going to be some left over. But you can certainly not have food scraps everywhere and leave start leave food lying all over the ground. That's just going to encourage animals to come through. Taking it a bit more of an extreme is hanging your food. Now, if you're into hiking in the USA, uh, they often talk about bear hangs where you're hanging your food to keep it away from bears and you're normally doing it away from camp. Now, we typically don't have to worry about animals of that sort of size. Uh, and in our case, we've got to, got to worry about the small stuff. But in all honesty, you know, hanging a bag of food in a tree is not going to stop a possum. Hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They live in trees and they're going, they're, you know, it's not going to be a, a something that's worthwhile doing. But as another example, again, this is from the Bibbulmun Track. I had a few interactions there. The open shelters on the Bibbulmun Track are three-sided, so it's not going to stop anything from getting in. Uh, there are a series of hooks along one of the, at least one of the back walls. Uh, and you know, I think for a lot of people, they see those hooks and think, okay, I'll hang my food off one of those. Really wonderful idea until you see the the rodents running around. Very nimble rodents. (laughs) Running around the eaves just above these hooks so they can very easily drop down into these bags. What I ended up doing on these shelters is in a lot of the newer shelters, they had cross braces to, to keep the tension on the actual structure itself, which were 
not overly thin, but thinnish sort of steel rods that went from one corner to the other uh, and then the opposite corner to the other corner. And I found this by hanging my food bag in the middle, there was no way that the animals could actually get to it. And that worked really well. And, you know, this was after a couple of times where I had actually gone to bed at one night where I used my pack as my pillow and every so often I was getting scrabbling on the pack itself as something was trying to get into my food and I had my head on the pack. God, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's, it's never a guarantee, but certainly these are things that can help. And as we mentioned, the other thing is be careful about what you leave outside the tent. So food scraps, silicon of any type, <laughs> I would definitely not leave outside the tent. Yeah, it's just one of these things that you just don't tend to think about so much. And, and I think sometimes, you know, when we're out and about, we we see people spread themselves out and they've got stuff here, stuff there, stuff everywhere. And, um, you know, they they do leave food out. They do leave bits of this and bits of that. Um, really, that's not the best for everybody who comes later. So um, keep it tight, keep it keep it sorted and keep it with you, I think, is probably the big message. And really the leave no trace principles are is, you know, you shouldn't actually bury rubbish or food. You know, don't throw apple cores or uh, don't let food drop on the ground and leave it there. As you might think, oh, look, yeah, I won't worry about it because something will eat it. Uh, but then they will associate humans with food. Uh, and if they come across a campsite, it's like, well, there's going to be plenty of food here. And that's when they start to become a nuisance. So everything that goes in really wants to come out. Uh, and... Now, as we said, don't leave the scraps lying around as well. Now, if something does happen, how do you deal with these impacts? Now, as I said, in my case, you know, losing, having a hole chewed in my silicon cup, that one wasn't too bad because I'd, I'd always preferred a silicon cup, but I use a canister stove that has a, a cover, if you like, on the base that also happens to double as a cup. So from then on on that hike, I just ended up using this as my cup uh, and I didn't have to worry about replacing it. In relation to the spoon, I have lost spoons previously or or at least I had a hike where I thought I'd lost the spoon. Uh, it just got <laughs> buried in the bottom of my pack and I basically ended up whittling myself a pair of chopsticks. Uh, not particularly pretty looking. Uh, but, you know, if the choice is using your fingers in a jar of peanut butter or trying to eat hot food, having at least something that's, that, that is usable of some sort, um, I always carry a knife on a hike. And again, it's more for whittling or cutting things, not for trying to do anything else with it. Now, you keep saying this and we've been together for decades and decades. And I can honestly say I haven't seen you whittle anything, Tim. I do not believe it. <laughs> Well, I think when you're with me, the, the, the rodents are attracted to your side of the tent. <laughs> They're stealing my stuff, not yours. Over the years, we've talked about the whole concept of um, ultralight hiking. And one of the, uh, the, the principles of that is take gear that you can use for dual purpose. So, you know, things like dental floss can be used at a pinch to try and tie up holes or minimise the holes if you really need to, if the, the damage is that bad. On longer hikes, I tend to carry taping for my feet. 
Uh, and again, that would be, uh, it's not a, not the, the best option for it, but I could end up using a combination of the taping and the, the floss to try and close up the holes just so you can get out if the damage is that bad. You need some duct tape. Well, yeah. That fixes everything. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, one of the things that people often take is duct tape, and you can either wrap it around a water bottle uh, or you can have a small roll of tape that you use for that. But it's whether you want to carry something like that or, again, as I said, multi-purposing, using my foot tape to, to close up the pack. So, uh, you know, the choice is yours. And sometimes you've just got to be creative about how you deal with the damage or the impacts. I mean, you know, in my case, if I didn't have that spare cup, that's going to make it really hard to go through and, and drink a cup of tea or coffee. Or, uh, uh, and that's what I typically carry a cup for. Uh, but, you know, worst case, I put my tea makings in my uh, canister stove and actually drunk it directly out of that. Not the ideal, but if I was really desperate, I, that's what I could have ended up doing. But you know, sometimes you've just got to think creatively. So just as a final thought on this, um, it's virtually impossible to plan away every negative on a hike. You can certainly go through and do things to minimise what's going on. Uh, and, and the, you know, the examples we gave, the one from Adam really is an extreme. It's, it's the worst case of uh, rodent slash marsupial <laughs> interaction I've ever heard. But even the interactions that I have, it was more contributory negligence on my part that the impact was happening because I'd done something or failed to do something. So leaving things outside the tent when I shouldn't have done, not hanging the food potentially when I had the opportunity to do so. And, and it is rare you know, that, that, that we have these issues. For me, it really tends to be at campsites that are really popular. Uh, so the animals have associated hikers with food and they'll take advantage of that. The other thing I'd keep an eye on here as well is read up about the campsites. You know, if you find out, you go online and someone says, oh, this particular campsite has a problem with rodents or possums as thieves. Uh, and certainly with the Overland track, I was very much aware that possums are an issue on the track and will steal food where they can. So you just have to be conscious about how you deal with that. And that's why, apart from actually seeing a possum on the Overland track just outside a tent, we had always fully intended on having our food in our tent for that very reason. Yeah, and if you're lucky, sometimes uh, what you're fearing doesn't actually happen. So uh, when we were on the Larapinta Trail at Mount Sonda, we'd heard lots about uh, mice and uh, I've already said mice are my worst nightmare and uh, uh, I was Fortress Jill uh, on that first night on the Lara Pinta Trail, there wasn't going to be a mouse getting in anywhere into anything, uh, and there were no mice. So that was a good thing. <laughs> and finally, on those really, really bad situations like Adam described, don't be afraid to pull the pin. And in his case, he actually did a bit of side, you know, he came out early, a day early, did some side trips, um, maybe not everything he'd planned on doing but had a good time anyway before finishing off rather than trying to spend a second night in a tent that was no longer uh, <laughs> uh, animal slash insect proof and having to deal with another night of, uh, uh, of having to fend off the, 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 the animal uh, in, impacts inside his tent. Hopefully this will never happen to you, but again, 
if you do enough hiking and if you do enough camping, you will have some interactions like this at campsites from time to time. But as I said, try and minimise it where you can uh, and just keep in mind that where you go and what you do will have a, an impact on the quality of your hike. Okay, that's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.